Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Sofia Quintero, founder and CEO at NomNom, on building a growth cultural experience. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. And today I'm with Sophia. Hi, Sophia. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you. We keep talking in this podcast about customers, about growth. So I have the perfect person with me today. So tell me a little bit about you. So currently, I am the founder and CEO of a company called NomNom. We build applications and products that helps product teams to understand customers faster. And we do that in different levels. We can help from a researcher that is doing a particular project on a new project or a new feature to um, large companies that wants to understand feedback at scale. So we do text analytics for them and we help them to understand the nuggets and the important bits and pieces to actually put that into practice and build better customer experiences. That's what I'm doing now. Previously, I was just mostly working in acquisition and retention for digital products and tech companies. And before NomNom, I was the head of growth of of a tech company here in London called Geckobore. Nom nom. I mean, of course, the first thing people think about when you say is that if you had a third nom, you thought about nom, something nom, delightful, nom. right? Nom nom nom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a funny story, actually. Um, we want to keep the name. Let's see how it goes. We might have to rebrand because of trademark perspective. But uh, the story behind the name, which people ask a lot about, my co-founder, when we were talking about building the business, my co-founder and I sat down and started to try to articulate what was the thing that we were building. And because we integrate with different sources of feedback, like social media and customer support systems and so on, we were thinking, well, we are just eating and digesting all this data from everywhere. And that was the notion like, oh yeah, like nom, 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 nom. And it sounds silly when I tell the story, but it made total sense in our heads <laughs> when we did it. So we decided just to give it a go to have a weird name for a data company. Before we go to that company, you don't wake up one day and decide to do this, right? I mean, there must have been some kind of experience that led you to say, oh, we need a company to help company grow, because basically that's what you do. You build growth cultures. So tell us a bit about your journey. How did you come to that current startup? What was the inception point? As I said before, I've been working in acquisition and marketing for over more than 10 years, now, I don't know, 12 years. But I have also built uh, small products, side projects along the way. So I I have a variety of experiences. So uh, when I was 19, I started a skateboard shop. I was in back home in Venezuela, where I'm from, and I used to be a skateboarder. So I partnered with my boyfriend at the time, and we created this sort of brand called Amigos Skateboard, and it was basically a skateboard shop. So I did that, and that was a physical product. Then over the years, I had my uh, roles in marketing and so on, but I will build little applications here, or I will build content, and I will try to build businesses around that. So it was mostly side projects. So I always had this dual sort of experience of trying to market things for other people and trying to put it out there and bring brand and messaging and so on. And on the other hand, I will build products myself and trying to really understand what people really wanted. Going through the painful process of understanding customers and see how you translate that into features or how do you translate that into a cohesive idea that people want to pay for. So between those two experiences, the more I worked in tech, the more I realized that you, you can't do those things separately. You have to think about the product as this 
magical thing that will solve a very important problem for somebody else. But you also have to think about it as a piece that has to be communicated to other people. And that communication sometimes can be marketing, sometimes can be other people talking about it. Over the years, I realized more and more and more that you have to do both. And both are actually no separate things. It's just one thing. It's it's product as a whole. It's communications and it's the actual thing that you play with, the software, the application, the skateboard, and so on. So most recently, when I was working at Gecko Board, that was one of the most interesting experiences for me professionally, because I really had the chance to influence and work with multiple teams to understand those dynamics. So working with product teams directly, working with the growth team and building that team, working with customer success and so on, and building those relationships and processes that help you to fulfill that vision of having these both areas, marketing, communication, growth, and product development working very well together. So that was a great experience for me. It's just, you don't have many chances to work in businesses where you can really affect the entire funnel, that you can really say, well, I'm going to be working on acquisition, but I can also design retention strategies and so on. So that was very rich. I started this business because of that experience in the last 10 years, just realizing the importance of aligning product teams and marketing teams and the impact and the results that you can see from that dynamic. So sometimes when we align these type of teams, there's a little bit of a clash. I'm not saying all the time, but there's a bit of a clash because parts of marketing is obviously metrics. Uh, you know, so it's a very hard product to read on. And the other part is soft. So when you try to understand customer feedback, not everything can be translated into metrics. But then again, you, you want to have a customer-centric company, a single entity. How do you translate something soft for people that might be more into reading pure analytical metrics? Customer feedback is, is data. Multiple teams will use in different ways. You can try to quantify customer feedback in order to make decisions around product and understand what is this feedback coming from, is from which kind of customers and how often and so on. So you can try to quantify that data. And that's part of what we do as well with NomNom. But you will also have people that just want to read the feedback and wants to be exposed to the emotions that the feedback has because it inspires them to build better messaging from a marketing perspective or it inspires them to build better user stories from a design perspective. So what I think is important here and, and what we do is try to help teams to have access to that data in the first place and then use it in a way that makes sense to them. So it's not about convincing product team that they have to be softer and look at emotion. It's not convincing the marketing team that they have to be harder and look at only metrics and graph. It's about allowing all those teams to use data in the way that they can use it to make an impact. And the data will have different formats. Sometimes it will be very quantifiable and sometimes it won't be. It is about liberating that data, making it accessible for people to then use it the way they want. So are you a believer that every single employee of a startup should be caring about the customer? Should be caring about the customer because the customers pay their bills and their salaries, but beyond that, <laughs> should be closer to it. They don't necessarily talk to them all the time, not necessarily will have the chance to impact directly to the experience, but being able to access that information or being able to see it, uh, get in touch, read uh, how people feel about what they're trying to sell and what they're trying to build. So it's just getting closer to the customer. Is it a culture you have to implement? Because it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to grow. It's one thing to say everybody has to care about the customers. Another thing actually to translate into an actuality for a startup. You see, sometimes as company grow, it's harder and harder to get yeah. that. So is it a culture or is it the tools that help you? Absolutely culture. Yeah, tools are just a vehicle. It's just a culture. and But you build culture in different ways. You build culture by being the 
example. So if you're leading the team, you are the example. So if you care about customers and you're trying to make locate customers in the center of the operations and decision making, it's a lot easier for everybody else to follow that example and to understand that that's what we care about here. So first is about leadership. The second part of that is the processes. Like, can you help your teams to communicate better internally so they can actually discuss and make decisions in an intelligent way? Then you have tools that help you to get access to data and to actually use in a way that is efficient for you. And I think it's just a narrative. You build culture by allowing people to understand what is important. Ultimately, revenue and growth is very important. That's what's going to allow the company to stay alive. But internally, what drives that growth is what it needs to be defined, how we get there. And if you decide that customers are the thing that you're going to focus on and their experience, and then that's clear for everybody else, it's easier to have the conversations and easier to make decisions. So at the end of the day, culture is the conversations that we have internally. And if those conversations are about customers, it's a lot easier to achieve those goals. If the conversations are about how do we build something that we like, regardless of our customers, and let's push into the market as hard as we can, that is what it is going to be. It is about shaping those conversations. And if you are the leader in the organization or part of the leadership, it is about being the example and putting those conversations at the center of the business. So when you joined Gecko Board, it was a very small startup and then it grew. So basically your role was exactly what you just described, right? Yeah. Initially, I was doing mostly marketing acquisition. And then as we grew, I started working more on processes and trying to understand customers on a deeper level and trying to understand what was going to take us to the next level. And in that process, again, is that when you realize how every single thing has to be more than ever aligned to what customers needs. So yeah, I think that the role transition for a while into understanding how we get more people in turning into how we retain these people and making happier. That's a very different way of doing growth from my perspective. Enjoy that more. I love more retention than acquisition if I have to confess. <laughs> you say it's very different. How so is it different? You think about it long term. When you think about more an entire funnel and retention, which I love particularly, your thinking is more about how do I establish a relationship with this customer or, or this user in a longer term? What that person or that company might need in a couple of months or years? And when you talk about acquisition, it's how I convert somebody that has a specific problem to this specific product today. So you do a conversion rate based on what you can solve today. But when you think about retention, you think more about can I solve this problem today and how can I help that person moving forward once I have solved that problem or how can I help them even further for problems that are around the one that I'm solving today? So I think it's a bigger picture of the relationship of customers. A lot of startups nowadays are using products like the one that everybody talks about, Slack, obviously. Are you still making that kind of job easier to scale? Because again, it's all a matter of scale here. When you start, the growth culture is maybe easier to implement. Then as you scale, especially when you scale rapidly, how can you maintain that kind of momentum? So all these tools, I know you said, and you rightly so said that these are only vehicles, but do you think they're helping or do you think most of the people don't know how to use it? No, I think they help, you know. Tools play a part, but again, it just comes down to the culture. I, I wouldn't be able to talk at length how you scale a company into thousands of, of employees and how you maintain the growth culture. I haven't been there yet. I can tell you when you get to a point where you start seeing silos and, and people are struggling to communicate and make decisions quickly. But in terms of tools, Slack can be used in a very large enterprise and can facilitate some of the conversations that are happening. But if the conversations are the wrong ones, 
there's nothing Slack can do to change that. So if the conversations are about bureaucracy or about politics or the conversations are about anything else but what the customer wants, Slack is just going to power those conversations and taking them further and making them more efficient. So it's about how you shape the conversation moving forward with your teams and how you maintain that. So when you put tools in their hands like Slack or NomNom, in our case, things happen because they were ready to take advantage of those tools, not because the tools is going to save the day. You insist a lot, and I think rightly so as well, you insist a lot of the not only the quantitative, but the qualitative. So the narrative, of course, within the company, but the qualitative insights you get from outside, from your customer, from outside the company. The reason I mentioned Slack is because in one of your posts on Medium, MailChimp and Slack oh, were yeah. the two companies that I don't know if they inspired you, but at least their culture was also about the quality of the insights that we're getting from outside. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That's a great reference. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mentioned those examples because the, well, I love both companies and they're brilliant, but they're great examples of businesses understanding the balance between numbers and words. And that sounds like probably very cheesy. At the moment, we have a ton of analytics to show us graphs as to, you know, sales going up or down, conversion rate going up and down and we have brilliant tools like Mixpanel and so on. So that is there and it's extremely helpful. But when you are a marketeer, when you are a user researcher, when you are working on product or any area really, and you see a graph and see, okay, sales are going down. Okay, what is happening? Why they're going down? You either drill down into that data and hopefully find something that explains it. But if not, you have to go back to, okay, why, why people are saying about this? Can we find answers in customers' stories? and what they're telling us. So I think you have to have both sides of the equation to actually make sense of the data and to understand customers. So it's not one of the other or one is better than the other. There are benefits, but you have to have a balance. And I found myself in that position many, many times. You get pushed as a marketeer to be extremely data-driven, which is awesome, and you should. But that doesn't mean that you have to forget about understanding the psychology behind customers' decisions and the emotionality attached to the tool that you're selling and what is the context around those decisions that are made by those users that are paying for your products. It's not about choosing. It's about understanding the balance between those. You just mentioned the word story. So do you see yourself, your role as a storyteller? I, I wouldn't know how to define that at all. <laughs> I will say, I don't know. <laughs> no, but what I use storyteller is because, you know, you need to shape. It's like data. You know, you have the raw data that you're getting and that you have to make sense out of it. But you also have the stories coming from customers or stories within the company. You still have to shape it. You cannot just throw it at an employee, for instance. Yeah. Say, That's what I meant by where you at Gecko Board and maybe now at Nanam Insights, someone who's actually shaping the story, like understanding, making sense of all that comes from all customers. Yeah, I will say, though, that data, pure quantitative data, numbers tell stories very well, too. So it's not that qualitative data or just word and customer feedback will be the only source of the stories. Numbers tell very powerful stories, too. It's about not having the mindset of, I have to choose the number stories instead of the word stories, because apparently this ones are better. It's about knowing the value of each of these type of stories and putting them together, having a bigger understanding.
understanding. So that's what I see the feat. So Gecko Board is very driven, for instance, on telling stories with numbers and with metrics. And it's extremely powerful. We are focusing more on the text side of things and the words and the things that people say. And those stories can be transformational as well. What type of customers are you after at NumNum? At the moment, we are talking with a lot of product designers, product teams, user researchers, just normally product teams in general. People that are working together to build great products. There's other, it's, it's interesting because we've been in private beta only for three months. So it's not a lot of time to make huge conclusions in many things. But we see that product teams tend to invite a lot of different teams to NomNom. It could be marketeers, it could be people from customer support and so on. So there is definitely an intention to help other team members and other functions within the organization to have access to this information and to do something with it. But mostly we're focused on product teams. And I guess you're using NomNom yourself then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that is... Um, Oh, there's nothing better than being able to use your product to make decisions as to how you move forward. You really feel your own pain. And yeah, it's just really hard. It's really hard to use your own product and start thinking, oh my God, can we just fix this faster? But yeah. <laughs> you shared another article that I really loved about your non-sustainable day. <laughs> you were. It's the other reality, especially when you start a very early stage startup, is that you work more hours than there is in a day. But you still have to listen to customers. So I guess that's where NumDum Insights comes into play. So can you tell us a little bit of that unsustainable day? Because that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm not proud of that. Actually, when, I, when we published the post, I think I had left GeckoBot. It was like a week after. And then I wrote that blog post. And it was a really crazy week. And I'm not necessarily an advocate of killing yourself and an extreme hustle. I think you can work smart and hard at the same time. And you have to do both as well. But that was a crazy day and then a crazy week. And that kind of routine stayed with me for a long time. And then it got worse because we go into Techstars and a three-month program where you have to get a ton of traction and you have to prepare fun for racing doesn't allow you to sleep that much. So it got a little bit worse, but now we... And I say we because we're getting all the team as well to start working on having a more productive day. And that means doing great work without having to kill yourself and, and working smarter and coming to work fresh so you can think about better ideas. When I published that blog post was a reflection of that week, but I'm not saying that that's how you have to do things or that you should having a crazy routine or to achieve success. Quite the opposite, to be honest. Do you still have uh, remote teams? You mentioned Lisbon in your... Yeah, in your, we, we uh, are building right. a remote company. We do have now people still in Lisbon and we have one person in, in Russia, but actually moved to Brazil, <laughs> traveling the world. So we're hiring another two engineers. Uh, we don't know where they're going to be based yet. Some people are coming from great people applying. That was the lead up to my next sure. question. But isn't that also a tough cookie? I mean, we know more and more startups and more and more companies are working with remote teams. And you mentioned at the very early start of our conversation, creating a narrative. So creating a narrative with remote teams, isn't that harder than having the people next to you having coffee next to you every morning? Yeah, there are pros and cons, of course, of anything. It is hard to keep aligned and very focused. And we try to do different things to achieve that. But what I say to myself, because we just started nine months ago, is that I admire great companies like Help Scout or Buffer or Automatic. Um, they have been extremely successful at having remote teams. So 
But we said to ourselves, if they have done it, probably we can't. And we've just been very careful with the tools that we pick and, and choose the routines that we embed, the processes, so we make it easier for everybody to keep aligned and to basically keep the focus on the things that are important. There's many things that we do around that. So, so far, it's been easy to get together and meet in Lisbon, for instance, and we try to meet each other, but we have a ton of calls every day and we do different things. I think it's too early for us to define if it's been absolutely great or not. What I can say is that it definitely has allowed us to hire great people around the world. When you don't have the limitation of, well, I live in London and this is what we need to pay, you know, salaries in London and everybody's competing for the same developers. When you open the doors into I'm going to hire in the world, things are very different. And I guess a, a tool like NumNum also helps not only for you, but other remote teams because you can have these insights not having to talk to you, but having a tool to actually understand the customers, correct? Yeah, to have access, exactly, to have access to the data around customers. I really enjoy it, and I think we can make it happen. It's awesome. There's always, when we talk about customers, a lot of people listening are like, okay, yeah, but that's good for B2C companies, but B2B, and we're talking here with Notion Capital, but SaaS companies, B2B companies are a bit of a different beast. What's your take? Do you think the customers is that different? I personally don't think so, but a lot of people are. So what's your take? Is there a difference between a B2C and a B2B startup in how they have to cater and think about a customer? I don't think there's a massive difference. I think it depends a lot on industries. So if you're a luxury brand and you're just selling to a very few customers, something that's extremely expensive, you definitely can build that relationship one-to-one and you should. You probably don't need you know, text analytics to drive revenue from that perspective or drive customer insight. But if you are a business in an industry where you have a lot of competition, where you can potentially have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers and you are utilizing different channels to talk to them, you most likely will need a tool, a team, a person, a process that can help you to make sense of that information. So I think B2B and B2C are very similar as long as as a human or as a team, you cannot handle the volume coming to you. There is always an opportunity to understand, analyze feedback at scale. So the answers, I don't see much difference there unless you are in an industry that requires you to have one-to-one relationships only. I guess there's a lot of tactics we could get into, but I know we are running out of time. (laughs) Uh, So we probably have to do another episode, but two things. Mm -hmm. So first, if people are interested in NumNum, how can they find out? Absolutely. They can go to our current website, which is numnum.it, numnumit. Or they can talk to me. They can find me on Twitter. It's SophiaQT, at SophiaQT, or HateNumNum as well. You can go to at HateNumNum. Well, that was my second question, how to find you. You just actually stole my line, so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you want to add before we close that one? By the time the podcast goes out, probably if you are a product manager, user researcher, or product uh, designer we would love to talk to you and hear your feedback and what we build and so that's it well with someone like you head of growth at the head of that the next time we'll be talking to you or the time this podcast will be released your company will have grown so much so congratulations and I hope it goes extremely well for you thank you much Sophia thank you so much for the invitation thank you